Well, good morning. It's nice to be with you. It's been a while since I've been able to be with you in worship, so it's delightful to be with you this morning and uh, have a chance to worship with you and pray with you and, uh, and be an encouragement, I hope. Um, have you, do you recognize the little video you saw as the Bible Project? How many of you, how, yes, how many of you are familiar with it? So if you're not familiar with the Bible Project, a couple guys from Portland, Oregon, have done a crowdfunded thing called the Bible Project. And they have little short videos that take sections of Scripture and explain them in, in really, really simple but profound ways. And I have found them to be really wonderful. I hope you, en- hope you enjoyed that one this morning that sets up what I want to share with you as we, as we share together this morning. It's, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with your pastor. Um, let me let me say this and then let me explain. I like the fact that you don't have a professional pastor. Didn't sound like a compliment, did it? But I have walked with your pastor for the last two and a half years real closely. And I know that he doesn't treat this congregation as some kind of profession, some kind of occupation, some sort of career. I have prayed with him enough on the phone. I have talked with him enough in person. I have listened to his heart's concern for all of you, for, uh, for what is right for you, what is best for you, what, what uh, builds and strengthens you. I have listened to his prayers for you. I know that he doesn't approach this as some sort of professional who is doing some sort of job, but he has a calling, and his calling is to love and care for you. I know you know that, but I want you to know that I know it too and that uh, I highly respect him. He serves as a colleague of mine uh, on the district, but also at Northwest Nazarene University where we both serve as trustees. And, and um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he's not necessarily the first one to speak. But when he does speak, um, it comes from something he's thought about deeply, something he's prayed about and rolled over in his mind. And when it comes out of his mouth, it... It often strikes me when I sit with him on committees and boards and listen to his heart. It often strikes to me as wisdom that comes from a close relationship with Jesus. And so I have high regard for your pastoral leader. And it's good to be with you this morning as we, as we worship together. <clears throat> have you noticed that there's no shortage of people having an opinion about things? Everybody's got an opinion. Now, when I was a kid, you could have an opinion, and people said to you, your opinion doesn't matter because you're nobody. And I I, I kind of rebelled against that. You know, I am somebody. I have an opinion. But now, everybody can, with a keyboard and an Internet connection, thinks they're somebody. And that their opinion matters about everything, and their opinion ought to be embraced and heard by everybody. If you notice this at all going on, it is not creating unity in our culture. But if you, ever, if you raise the issue of what God is like, everybody has an opinion. Have you ever heard someone start a sentence with, well, my God is not like that? It always makes me smile because um, if God is God... Whatever my opinion of him is a, is a minuscule fraction of what God is like. And so we're here this morning, one, because we believe in God. And number two, we believe in a God who, who cares about our lives and, and is, is drawn us into this place this morning that we would be able to meet with each other, but that also we would be somehow uniquely in the presence of God. So as we've been worshiping together and singing together and through your pastor's prayer, I have sensed the presence of God. Have you? 
have you. If not yet, then let's be open in our hearts to the presence of Jesus being with us really here in, in, in reality this morning. You know, you define somebody's character by, you know, what, their, what, their mental, what the mental and moral qualities of the individual that make them distinguished. It, it, it's, how, it's how their integrity works, how their life works, what they're like is a description of their character. So when we think about what God is like, there's, there's no shortage of opinions. But we believe in a God who re- has revealed himself in the pages of Scripture. Now, I know if you read Scripture, it's complicated because it's a long story, a long story of how God has been dealing with us from the beginning. And it has indications of how he will deal with us in the end. But we believe in a God who reveals himself in Scripture. And in this little video that John and Tim gave us this morning as the beginning of our conversation, it says that 20 times in Scripture, 20 times in Scripture, God defines him this way. So if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 34, and we're going to look at verses 6 and 7, which we've already had a chance to hear kind of unpacked a bit in the video we watched. It it reads this way, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Now, I don't know if you... um, if you know this, I, I think probably it's likely that you do. But when you see in your English version of Scripture, when you see the Lord, or you see the word Lord in all caps, do you know what that means? It means that that's the proper name for God. It is, it is what, you know, when I was a kid would have been Jehovah or more, more accurately Yahweh, God's name. I wonder if somebody had walked into our worship this morning when we said, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name. I wondered if they might have been confused, not knowing exactly what that might mean. But Yahweh is God's name. And this passage that describes God's character and his nature and what he's like starts out with Yahweh, Yahweh. So where is the first time we heard this name? Where's the first time we had any opportunity to engage with this name, Yahweh? Well, it was on this same mountain. It was about eight months before the events we watched happen on uh, on the screen on the little video. It was it was Moses in the wilderness minding his own business, and out of uh, the corner of his eye, caught a bush that was burning and it didn't burn up. and And he went over to investigate the bush, and you know the story that he uh, he encounters the presence of God in the bush. And God tells him that he's heard the cries of the children of Israel and he wants God to, he, God wants him to go and, and, and rescue them and help, and help him rescue them. <laughs> Moses is, is not anxious to go. Let's just say he does, he, several times he says, no, no, send somebody else. I don't talk so good, you know, all the things. But he says, but he says if, if I go, who, who will I say is sending me? And God says, Yahweh is sending you. And the, and the word literally means, um, I am that I am. The self-existing one. The God who's always been. The God who's always existed. I suppose we call him I am that I am. But really we ought to maybe refer to him, he is that he is. God is. And this starts out by saying, 
What is God like? God is. It's in his name. It's, it's, it's buried in his name that he is, he is and has always been. And so we, we get to this description of his attributes. Now, there's two things here. One of these things is really positive. The, the beginning of these five attributes that, that, he, that he claims about himself, that he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And I want to get to that. But I will just be honest enough to tell you that when I read this passage, that's not the part that jumps out at me. The part that kind of jumps out at me first is the part of the passage that says that God is um, likely to punish the guilt. He does not leave the guilt unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the father's sins to the third and fourth generation. I think that's the part of the passage that always, has always jumped out at me. Um, Anybody else see that's the part that first jumps out at you? I'm not sure whether it's the environment that I was raised in or the kind of sermons that maybe I heard as a child, but, but I'm always fearful that something I'm going to do is going to mess up my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren and that they're going to be punished for what I do. So is this passage of Scripture trying to teach us some kind of generational curse? That if, that if you don't behave just exactly right, your great-grandchildren are going to have a really bad day, and they're not going to know why, but it's your fault. Because God's going to get even with them. Is that what this passage is teaching? No. It's not what it's teaching. What this passage is teaching us is that if I set up a pattern of living in my life, that pattern of living is likely to affect maybe four generations of my family. That I set up a pattern of living. If my children follow my pattern of living, then that pattern of living will go down the line and God will not leave the consequences of the way that I choose to live without justice. Now, you need an example. So in the front of my Bible, I have this this letter I pulled out of the top dresser drawer in my, in my bedroom. <clears throat> I keep this letter there. It has a three-cent stamp. It's marked, it's marked May 20th, 1954, and it was sent from Mabel, Oregon. This letter was uh, a typewritten envelope. was sent from my grandfather to my father the week before I was born. My, my, my father's mother died when he was in the second grade. She died suddenly. She was a woman in her late 20s. She was healthy. But she had developed a, a, a hernia from pulling the rope on a gas-powered wringer washer. Maybe some of you have some vision of what that might look like. You know, trying to get that motor started. She was a small woman, and she developed a hernia. It ruptured, turned into gangrene. And a very healthy young woman died just suddenly. And so my father lost his mother suddenly. My grandfather, um, who probably always kind of a harsh person, turned incredibly harsh. So my dad grew up in an abusive environment, maybe more emotionally than physically, but certainly had some physical aspects to that. So when, when my father was a young man, he decided that if he was going to live, he had to get away from his father. And so he did that. And they, they didn't communicate very much. But this letter is from my grandfather to my father, telling my father, the week before I was born, that if he didn't straighten up, and didn't begin to behave the way he was supposed to behave, 
in, in, a, in a variety of well-described ways, that this might be the last communication they had. If he didn't straighten up right now, right away, this letter was notice that they were not going to be in relationship. I never knew my grandfather. I never knew him. I met him one time in my life. He came to my home when I was in junior high school, and I was playing with a friend in the front yard, and, and this uh, 57 Chevy pulled up into our driveway, and a man got out. I had no idea who he was. And he, um, he identified my neighbor as me. He didn't know me well enough to know which one I was, and I said, no, no, that's me. And he identified himself as my grandfather. And he and my father spent the night talking, and I don't know all that they said in the night, but I, I think my grandfather came to try to figure out their relationship. But he was tragically killed the mo a month later in an auto accident. I never knew my grandfather. Um, I have suffered because of it. My father suffered because of it. My dad died rather tragically at 63 as a result of a lifelong message. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be anything. You'll never... How about those kinds of messages that would come from your father? So while my dad didn't pass on to me any sort of abuse, my father struggled with depression his whole life. Now, it affected my life. It has affected my children's life. You get, you get the picture of what this passage is saying. This passage says it makes a difference how we live. This is not the message this morning, but hey, be careful what you write down. This is 68 years later. This envelope is still in pretty good shape. You might want to be careful and cautious about what you write down, what you put into print, because it could be uh, held by your ancestors at some point. That, that's a good word, isn't it? So this passage is not saying that, that God somehow curses generations of people. He just says he's just and he's fair and things work out according to his justice. But the good part is he is gracious to thousands of those that love him. If, you have, uh, if you've had the opportunity to be raised by godly parents and uh, you've had the opportunity to have generations affected by godliness, you know the other side of the story as well, don't you? And in this passage, he points out that God has these five attributes. One, he is compassionate. He is compassionate. Do you have, good, do you have a good working definition of compassion? How does compassion differ from empathy or sympathy? Well, if, I'm, if I see your situation and I go, oh, I can sympathize with that. Or I feel bad for you in your situation is one thing. But the word compassion is actually a compound word. It means co-passion. It means to suffer along with. I actually watched your pastor do a little bit of that with you during COVID. He suffered right along with you. Co-passion. God is compassionate. The, word, the Hebrew word compassion is, is found in the root word of the word for womb. So what it actually is saying is God feels about you the way your mama feels about you. He cares for you like a mother. 
It's one of the places where we know that God is not, God created us male and female in his image. This is one of those places where God's character is like your mama. He loves you the way your mother would love you, the, a mother's love. So God's compassion toward us is deep. It also says that he's gracious, that God is gracious to us. Now, I don't know if you have a good working definition of grace, but uh, if, you, if you put it in sequence, you know what justice is. It's when you get what you deserve. And we don't want other people to get their justice. We want justice. Sometimes we want just us. <laughs> um, but we want justice. It's when you get what you deserve. Um, mercy. Well, that's when you don't get what you deserve. I, I, I deserved an F and I got a D. It's mercy. Mercy comes when we get what we don't deserve. But, but grace, grace is this abounding goodness that comes to us that we could never earn or deserve. And God is, God is compassionate. He's gracious. And he is slow to anger. I don't know if the picture of God that you have is one that who is, who is patient with you, who is really slow to get angry. In fact, the, the interesting thing about this text is that, that, that if, you describe, if you were to translate literally what um, slow to anger means in Hebrew, it means God is long in the nostrils. He's got a long nose. If you read this along, it said he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's got a long nose. He's long in the nose. Um... What's up with that? Well, in, in Hebrew, when you said someone was angry, you would say their nose burned hot. And when, when Pharaoh was angry with Moses, Scripture says Pharaoh's nose burned hot against Moses. When somebody's angry, uh, when you look at their face, their nose gets red, their face gets red, their nostrils flare. And this passage says it takes a really, 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 really long time. God is really slow. He's really slow to be angry with you. Um, I don't know how you grew up or how, how the image you have of God is in your mind, but in this passage it says God is really slow. He's really slow to be angry. I don't know if that's good news for someone in the room, but God is slow to get angry with you. Sometimes, sometimes the messages I've heard, I, I heard as a kid were God loved us, but he didn't like us much. Kind of was how it felt. But this passage says God is compassionate and gracious and he's slow to anger and abounding in love. The word hesed in Hebrew is intranslatable into English. And that's the word here. It's a word that says God is so loving toward us the word is in, un, in, almost not able to be translated into English, and the best we can do is say abounding in love or loving kindness is, is what is a part of his attribute. And the, third, and, the, and the fifth and final one is that he is faithful. God is faithful to us. I was, I was in, the, in the aisle talking with Harold before church and just talking about the fact that I had been so concerned for him and, and, uh, and your church during the time of COVID because I know you had several people who were, who were affected by it and I know you lost some folks. And I was telling him how grateful I was to see him and, uh, 
And he talked about how faithful God had been to him, even in the bed, in, in the hospital where he was maybe not going to make it but, it, but God was present and faithful. God is faithful to us, even in the middle of darkest circumstances. I know it's true. I've been through some dark places where uh, I didn't understand why things were happening the way they were, but, but I have seen the faithfulness of God. If we were to just take a break and take a parenthesis and begin to share testimony in the room about times when God has been faithful, we would discover two things. We would probably all have a story. And second is, often we would find that the story we would tell would have been God's faithfulness in the middle of very difficult circumstances. God is faithful. Aren't these lovely attributes of God? And as John mentioned in the video, 20 times in Scripture God is described this way. Are you think we're supposed to pay attention to this? I think we're supposed to pay attention to this, that this is the way that God is. These are his attributes. How do we know it's true? How do we know that it's true that this is what God is like? He says we know it's true because God forgives. He, he forgives trans, transgression, iniquity, and sin. He forgives our sin. Oh, my goodness. God's grace is so great, he forgives our sin. I, if, you, if you hang around me, you know that I've fallen in love with the idea that, that the Scripture has three words for sin. The first one is iniquity. It's when it was wrong, you did it, you know it was wrong, you decided to do it, it was wicked, and you did it. It's iniquity, and Scripture says that God forgives our iniquities. He forgives us when we decided to do the wrong thing. We knew it was wicked, and we did it, and God forgives us. That's pretty amazing. If you steal my lawnmower, you're wicked. It's wicked. It's evil. We could make a list of things we've seen lately that are wicked and evil, couldn't we? But the second one is he forgives our transgression. And, and this, has, this has with it the idea of he forgives, our, he forgives us when we betray someone or betray him. Betrayal is different than wickedness, isn't it? So the way I like to say it is if someone steals my lawnmower, you're wicked. If my neighbor Patrick steals my lawnmower, it's betrayal. I should be able to trust him, and I can't. Don't you think sometimes that that feels worse than wickedness? When someone you should be able to trust, you couldn't trust them, and God forgives that. And he also forgives our just general run-of-the-mill sin, which is, which is in the New Testament translated harmartia, which means missing the mark. It's the target is over there, and I was aiming or not aiming at it, but I missed the mark. My life was not on target. I missed the mark. That he forgives us in all those ways. That's how good God is. I think this morning I, I, I want to center and focus in on this goodness of God because sometimes I think we fail to live our lives in recognition of just exactly how good God is. But we know he's good because he forgives, but we know God is good mostly because we see God reflected in Jesus. We know what God is like the best. By looking at Jesus, God is just like Jesus. And so we know that God loves us because we see it demonstrated for us in the cross. Or as 
Or as the writer to Hebrews says it, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets in many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiant glory of God, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. We know what God is like because he's just like Jesus. Because Jesus is, we're about to celebrate God with us. God for us. So, where does that leave us? I mean, you and me, where does this, where does this message leave us? I mean, this is all interesting, but where does it leave us? Where does it put us? Well, have you ever... Notice that one of the Ten Commandments says we're not supposed to take the name of the Lord God in vain. Have you ever thought about the fact that one of the ways that God's name could be taken in vain the worst is when the people who call themselves by his name misrepresent him to the community? When those of us who call ourselves by God's name, when we interact in the community, the life of God, the life of Jesus, the, 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 the five characteristics of his nature, the person of Jesus are not reflected in the way that we live. Might be the most offensive way to take God's name in vain. You know, the, the, the only weird miracle in, in, in the New Testament, the one that you scratch your head about initially, is Jesus walking into the, in, into the city and he sees a fig tree and it's full of leaves but got no fruit and, 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 he, and he wants breakfast. And here's Jesus fasted for 40 days, but he can't skip breakfast. He goes over to the fig tree. It's got no figs. And he says, since you don't have any figs this morning, you'll never... You'll never uh, have anything grow on you again and the tree withers and dies and you think whoa what is this about well if you look at the context it's an enacted miracle jesus is it's an illustrated miracle that jesus is doing a, a parable an illustrated parable he's going to the temple and when he gets to the temple he's going to say my house was supposed to be a house of prayer and you turned it into a den of robbers and the tree is an example of what the temple was like it was full of leaves but no fruit and so when, when we as those who represent Jesus in the culture in which we live look at the attributes of God and we look at the character of Jesus and recognize that we are the ones who are to be the representatives of God in the world, do our lives represent the God that we serve, his characteristics, do they represent Jesus? It's a, it's a place where uh, it should cause us to think a bit. Now, I have not yet preached the gospel. Not yet. Because you could take this message and just simply say, whatever you're doing, it's not enough. Just do better, try harder. Have you ever walked out of the church and said, do better, try harder, do better, try harder. Okay, I'll do better, try harder. That's, that's not the gospel message. I don't know if you know that, but that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is that God meets us right where we are. That he forgives our sin and he helps us to be carriers of the light of Jesus into the world around us but we're only reflecting the light we're not the light 
And so how is it that we reflect the light of Jesus? Um, I, I, this is a little story I, I love and I, and I have used it often, but um, Pat Riley, who was the, um, who was the coach of the, of the, of the, of the Lakers uh, basketball team, uh, somebody's not a Lakers fan in the back. <clears throat> Coach of the Lakers basketball team uh, years ago uh, said he went on a, a rafting trip down the Colorado River, and when he got there, they broke everybody up. There was several, several uh, like a busload of people, and they broke them up into little rafts that they would be in. And he said he never forgets what the guide said to him. Is the guide said to him, "Hey, now we're all going to be in the boat together. There's eight of you. You're going to be in the boat, and when I say." When I say row on the right side, you row on the right side. When I say row on the left side, you row on the left side. But he said it's very possible that sometime during this trip, somebody may fall out of the boat. And he said, and if you fall out of the boat, you're wearing a life jacket. If you fall out of the boat, he said, do not try to save yourself. Float in the river and I will come and get you. I will come and rescue you. Don't try to rescue yourself. He said, but when I come, I will throw you a rope. And when I throw you the rope, take hold of the line. You have to participate in your own rescue. So how is it that we participate in our own rescue? One is we accept the forgiveness that God offers us in our brokenness. We determine in our hearts that we will and want to live like Jesus. We promise that, that, that out of our lives will flow the kind of character and qualities of Jesus. But we don't try to do it on our own. The way that we do it is every morning when we get up, we take hold of the rope and we hang on to Jesus. So the message, if you didn't hear anything else today, is hang on to Jesus. Hang on to Jesus and allow that his life would be the life that flows through you into the world around you. To those who live next door, to those who live across the street, do they see Jesus in you? Uh, so, um, I have been contemplating a lot about lately as I get a little bit older in life about how God has been good. How God has been good to me for my whole life. Has God been good to you? And so there's this little song that... Uh, that has been written by, I think, I think it's a Bethel music song. It's just the, the name of the song is The Goodness of God. And I think, I think you guys have sung it before. It's not new to you. But this song captures the heart of what I've wanted to say to you this morning. Put your faith, your confidence, your trust in God. And his character, his life will flow out of your life into the people who live, who live around you. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I know that they have been through a lot. And I pray that as they love one another deeply from the heart, your life will be so evident in them that the people that they have influence with, the people they have influence over, the, the people that they know within their sphere and their family, their neighborhood, would see the gracious love of God in them. Oh God, may we reflect your qualities. May we be compassionate to the people around us. May we be gracious and not harsh with people in need. May our anger, may our, may our nose take a long time to get hot. May we express your, your love 
in, in an abounding way. And may our lives be marked by faithfulness. Thank you for this congregation. And I pray that as they serve in this community, that you would not only bless them, but that you would make them a blessing. And as you do, I pray that you would draw people into their sphere of influence who can come to know the beautiful message of the love of Jesus through their lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So I I love this song, and I think it captures what I've been trying to say this morning. I hope it also works with you. I don't know how you conclude your services, but we've always had places to pray. And this morning, if before you wanted to go, you wanted to find a place of prayer around the altar, I'll bet it would be just fine. And I'll bet there would be people who would uh, join you in prayer. So if, if as you talk with the Lord, you want to find a more specific place of prayer, you can find it here at one of these places.